Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, and Tony G. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 82 of Retro Hangover. Hello, retro and classic gamers. Welcome to the podcast where we bring bouncing babes bearing burdens of bourbon and brothels. This is episode 82 of the Retro Hangover Podcast. I am your co-host, Chris Copeline. And as always, your host, Shane. Wicked Dick Dragon Weave Koski! Oh, great. Now all I can picture is just a dragon with just a real fine-ass hair weave on it, and I don't know what to do with that information, so thank you. It's just all, it's all weaved and gnarled and... It's just, it's, it, it becomes part of the dragon's scales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of hot. Yeah, definitely. Makes sense. Yeah. In any case, we're talking about dragons with wicked weaves because this <laughs> week's episode is Bayonetta, as you probably already know, because it's Valentine's Day. And who better to represent Valentine's Day? Well, it's actually the week before Valentine's Day when this drops, but you know what we're saying. And who better to represent that than Bayonetta? That's because right. she just, she is the embodiment of love and faithfulness and just dedication it's all like enveloped into one like that is the the perfect woman uh you would have on <laughs> valentine's day it's that's great, who you want it's a great delivery okay thanks chris it's it's who you want on is, valentine's day is if perfect you're into women w- woman i guess mm-hmm do she don't wear guess? her hair as clothes yes yeah i mean it saves you a lot of money on shopping for, for mm. what it's worth, I guess. That is true. Though yeah. oral sex might be interesting. <laughs> I mean, when isn't it really, you know? I mean, more interesting. Okay. That's fair. Don't I just feel like it. it probably involves a lot more guns when she's there. But, you know, well, maybe I mean, you're into that. Maybe. I mean, yeah. you have to think. if She can contort her hair to do things. Mm. And obviously she doesn't shave. So, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> oh, God. I don't really want to get into a debate. About oral I sex don't and the intricacies thereof. Why with I didn't even think intro. about other body hair being a part of that wicked weave than just her head. God damn it! Thank you it's for everywhere. that, Chris. Uh, You're welcome. Jesus Christ. Well, this <laughs> episode is starting off real well. <laughs> I think it is. I'm having a good time. <laughs> In any case, uh, Shane. Yeah. To make this episode start off even better. Yeah. Sure. Talk. What have you been up to, my dude? Uh, well, I have been working on finishing my my playthrough of Trials of Mana, and I think I'm getting close. Um, okay. I think my party is about, what am I, level 54 now? 
And you're uh, level 55. Say what? You told me you're level 55. I don't know, 54, 55, somewhere around there. Point being yeah. is that okay. I'm I'm getting close to the end. I've got one Benevidon left to uh, to conquer. And as I was telling Chris uh, in our Discord the, yesterday or the day before, I, I think I might have been just super fortunate enough to uh, run into a streak of very weird luck in that I, I have been completely unable to get one of my party members' class change items to drop. So that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. You're I, pissed. I, it was great. I'm not, yeah, I'm not super happy about it. Like, I didn't know that that's how that functions, that, that the 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 way to get your character to progress to their third class is you have to hit a certain level threshold, which is 38, but then you also need a class item in order to do that, and I was not aware that those randomly drop, and also that you can get duplicates, so... At first, I was like, oh, it's random. Okay, fine. Like, I might have to wait a little bit to get the one I want. Okay, I guess. And then I got one that became a duplicate item of one that I had already gotten before. And I was like, oh, so so this is how this works. Neat. And that's that's the part where then I, I messaged Chris on, on Discord. And I was like, yo, what the actual fuck, though? And he was just like, yeah, it's how it, it's how it works. Like, yeah great i'm glad yeah, that you I'm just suck like 25 ish hours into this game and am now realizing this it's it's good but now i'm so far into it that you know I have, I have to finish it all that being said though i'm actually i have enjoyed my time with the game quite a bit so it's i guess a relatively minor thing in the grand scheme of things but it's still still kind of annoying but that's pretty much been most of most of my time i've been watching brianna play skyward sword and good lord that game fucking sucks i don't <laughs> care what anybody says that game is awful is she thinking the same thing oh she fucking hates it but she's determined to finish it now because like i've said in previous episodes she's made her own personal mission to finish every zelda game and so she's determined to get through this one and uh my god it's just and the thing is is the game itself i think would actually be all right if uh, it wasn't wholly relying on the stupid ass motion control gimmick, because that's where like 95% of the frustration honestly comes from. Like when you're trying to attack an enemy and the sword swings in this real wonky fashion or mm. the whole bug collecting mini game where it's just completely fucking inaccurate and you're running around like an idiot trying to catch bugs with a net swinging around because you can't aim correctly. It's just, the whole game is frustrating. You should never, ever have to fight the controls of a game in order to play the game. And that's exactly what happens with this one. Isn't it like absurdly long, too? I mean, so far, it doesn't seem to be any longer than any other mainline Zelda title. But I will say that it seems to do a whole lot of a lot more backtracking yeah. than other ones, which is in and of itself a kind of a shitty thing anyway. But yeah, it's uh, it's not great. I already told her several times there was a reason I never played that one. And if I were her, I would have given up already. But she is she is very determined. So kudos to her, I guess. That sucks. It's a sucky game because a lot of people liked it when it came out. But I know people going back and looking at it hasn't necessarily aged well. It's like an inverse Twilight or inverse Wind Waker. 
Yeah. I don't even know how people even consider Twilight Princess nowadays. I, I don't know, because that's one that I've tried to play and have not actually finished for some of the same reasons. But now that I have a different version of it, that might be a different story. But right. I was actually... Uh, yeah, I, I was amazed looking at the old like reviews of this game and it being like, this is the the best game for, for the system. And it's a showcase of what motion controls are meant to do. And I'm like, fuck off. This game is the most frustrating <laughs> shit I have ever played. I don't know, man. Anyway, so that's what we've been up to. What, what about you? Hopefully whatever you've been doing has been more enjoyable. Well, if I didn't say it last episode, I did get the platinum for Trials of Mana. Oh, there you go. So there's that. Yeah. And you can actually listen to a full kind of in-depth view of that on the Good, the Bad, and the Backlog podcast that I did with Adam from there. Uh-huh. And we're also going to be doing our own deep dive on this podcast with Adam as part of our RH guidance series for all patrons at any level. So stay tuned for that. And I, I think we're going to have some good discussions. Other than that, yeah, I mean, all the games I've been playing have kind of been for for future projects. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, because I have been having fun with them. One was Streets of Rage 4, which I've pretty much done everything in that game I want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Just because there's there's more trophies to get, but I have no interest in getting them. But I, I've seen myself going back to it eventually just because I haven't played it multiplayer yet. I do want to bust it out. I do want to play it with my kid. I do want to play it play it online as you know, you do with those kind of beat em up games. I actually thought it was a it was a really good game. I really did enjoy myself, but it was just missing something compared to Streets of Rage 2. Mm-hmm. And I can't put my finger on it. I think it's the soundtrack. Because I noticed I was having a lot more fun with it when I put on the retro soundtrack because the the newer tracks just don't jive with what Streets of Rage is. It's not Mm. bad music, but it's not like Streets of Rage music, which is just Yuzo Koshiro going full house and and house techno. And it's so good. And everything that Yuzo does is amazing anyway. But I, I did have a good time with that. I am going to be doing a deep depth episode on Streets of Rage 4 with uh, Goobs from the Secret Levels podcast. That's that's scheduled, and I'm looking forward to doing that. And then after I was done with that one, I moved to 13 Sentinels mm. for the PlayStation 4, which yes. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that game yet. It has a really interesting plot. It has a really good way of telling that plot, but... It's it's definitely it feels like an adventure game that that leans more towards a graphic novel. And every once in a while, you can go fight these kind of strategic battles in between to kind of break up the monotony. However, the plot telling is so addictive because it's like the the, the whodunit kind of plot telling. Every single story leaves you on a cliffhanger because mm-hmm. uh, you got 13 characters and you progress through the story through one of those characters each time. And each one of those characters gives you hints to what's going on in another character's story. And it doesn't really piece everything together. And it's really trippy, very, very sci-fi. And I would tell anyone who really does like sci-fi games to to check it out because it it's it's interesting. However, if just be be advised, this is an adventure game. It's a vanillaware game, uh, it's an Atlas game, but it's an adventure game. So a lot of text a lot of paying attention to what everybody says 
un- unlike kind of this 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 week's game. Oh, are we are we, so when you say adventure game, are you talking also like pixel hunting for the right fucking items to pick up and then like really weird esoteric puzzles to put like bubble gum and a tree branch together to fix a lock or some bullshit or I'm not going to say yes, but there are elements of that. Okay. Well, as long as they don't lean into that too hard, because and this is a discussion that we'll have eventually once we start talking about those games on a future episode. But uh, yeah. uh, the the later iterations of some of those adventure games, um, like, you know, lo- later in the King's Quest series and stuff like that, that shit just got way out of hand. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It's not like that at all. Like you you do like it has a lot of those elements but nothing is too obtuse that you can't figure it out or the game will really hold your hand to let you know how to do it. I got you. The people who the developers who made that game wanted to tell a story mm-hmm. and that's what it's doing. It, the, the primary purpose is we want you to know the story we wanted to tell. And is and it a PS4 exclusive? Yes, it is. OK, yes, it's mm-hmm. uh, you can find it relatively cheap. I got it for 20 bucks as part of a Black Friday sale. It's just I know it didn't sell well, and I think there's more copies out on the shelves than than obviously than people were willing to buy. Right. So if you can find it for cheap, it's it's worth checking out. Definitely. I got mine for free because GameStop screwed up. So yay me. But <laughs> yeah, go, go, go take a look at it. Cool. All right. Yeah, I'll have to check that out at some point. And I might be doing an episode on the Region Free Gamers podcast for that game. It's not confirmed, though, but you should check them out anyway, because they're our friends. That's true. Support your friends. Yeah. As you can see, we are we are nothing if if not busy. So getting that we're, getting we're that content to turn out that content out to yeah. you one way or another. So while we enjoy it, it's like the best punishment ever. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I gotta play video games. I have to play this game so I can get this content out to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like I, I have to finish trials now because now I've got two two people waiting on me to do an RH Gaiden. So you know, gotta exactly. gotta get it done. Yeah, we're motivating. We're inspiring. That's right. We're, we're, we're bad influences, actually, but it's all good. <laughs> Just like, you know what else is a bad influence, Shane? Uh, the Mary Jane. Uh, I I guess. But I would say it's <laughs> it's our protagonist in this oh. week's, in this episode of Retro Hangover, which is Bayonetta. She is a terrible influence or a great influence, depending on how you view it. Either way. She is a interesting and dynamic character, and this game is interesting and dynamic as well. But we'll get more into that after we cover our brief history. So, Shane. Yes. Go ahead. Take it away and tell everybody the brief history of Bayonetta. Grabbing the attention of teenage boys, or men that still think and behave like teenage boys, so most of us, is not particularly difficult. Mix equal parts violence, edginess, and sexy ladies, stir well in a finely polished 3D hack-and-slash style cooking pot, let simmer for a few hours, and you have got yourself a recipe for success. If there is any game development kitchen you could expect this kind of thick-ass cake to come out of, Platinum Games should certainly be at the top of the list. And with only the second game in their now-storied repertoire, Bayonetta, they would do exactly that. Director Hideki Kamiya would begin work on Bayonetta in 2007, the same year his former development house, Clover Studio, went defunct. 
Kamiya would task Mari Shamzaki with designing the titular character, emphasizing a deliberate focus on a fashionable and sexy aesthetic. This approach would be acutely evident in the character's final design. Bayonetta would feature librarian-style black-rimmed glasses, long legs, and even longer black hair that would not only be used for devastating combat maneuvers and summoning demons through portals, but would also magically function as Bayonetta's actual clothes. Trust us, it, it makes sense eventually. The overall design direction was guided by embracing the themes of femininity and sexuality, a decision that would become the focal point of many socio-political discussions in the years to follow. Much of Bayonetta's foundational mechanics and design can be traced back to the Devil May Cry series, one that several Platinum employees worked on, with Kamiya at the helm for the first iteration. Kamiya would even go on record as having played quite a bit of Devil May Cry 4 for inspiration. This lineage would become most apparent in Bayonetta's combat, which awards players for stringing together intricate and precise combos with a performance ranking at the end of every segment. A fresh addition to the formula would be the mechanic known as Witch Time, which provides players with a brief moment of slowed time, much like Max Payne's groundbreaking bullet time feature, in which to pummel enemies. Unlike other implementations of this particular gameplay mechanic, Witch Time is only activated by the player dodging an incoming attack at exactly the right moment. In addition to this, the titular character would also have access to a slew of combos, juggles, and torture moves that acted much like Mortal Kombat finishers. Bayonetta would release in Japan on October 29th, 2009, and in North America on January 5th of 2010, with PAL regions getting their copy three days later. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Bayonetta's critical reception was through the roof. Japanese game magazine Famitsu would give the Xbox 360 version a perfect score, which was a rarity at the time. North American reviewers would also give the game high marks, with the Xbox 360 version receiving an aggregate score of 90% on Metacritic. Sales, however, were not quite as explosive. The original PS3 and Xbox 360 releases would climax at about 2.1 million copies sold, with subsequent Wii U and Switch versions not really jacking up those total sales numbers as much as one might hope. Even so, Bayonetta as a character would quickly become one of the most iconic female protagonists in all of gaming, kick-flipping her way onto the Smash Bros. roster as DLC for the Wii U and the 3DS, and reportedly receiving a third installment of her eponymous series for the Nintendo Switch sometime in the near future. And that is your brief history of Bayonetta. And thank you for that brief history, Shane. We You're very do, welcome. We do appreciate it. It's, yes. uh, it's very hot. I'm getting all <laughs> hot and bothered with it's your sultry voice. It's oh. just, oh, it's going to be a great Valentine's Day. I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> you talk about you talk about Bayonetta. I'm just thinking about her right now. Well, I think about Bayonetta and and all the sexy moves she makes. How about you tell your personal experiences and I'll I'll be back in a few minutes. <laughs> Great. I'm just gonna edit in some very appropriate noises in the background. Be great. It's like some, I'm sure you will. Who's stirring macaroni? Uh so anyway. <laughs> 
my experience is honestly, it's pretty brief, frankly. Um, as most of you know, if you've listened to the show before, this particular era of games, specifically the Xbox 360, was something that I got into towards the end of that life cycle. Uh, I didn't pick up a 360 until it was pretty close to being the 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 tail end really and so fortunately i was able to get a lot of pre-owned games for relatively cheap so i was able to stack that library up fairly quickly which was nice i guess um being a patient gamer pays off i suppose and this was one of the ones that i had picked up eventually uh pre-owned probably from gamestop and um i went on to play it on very easy mode because it's me (laughs) and uh i i think that gave me a lot less trouble than perhaps i think chris might have gotten which we'll talk about in a second but um this was also back at the time where i was able to sit down and just like focus on one game and play through it from start to finish and i feel like i'm just somehow incapable of doing that anymore i i have so many other games i'm trying to play or i want to start playing that I, I think I've developed some sort of weird gaming ADD where I just start playing something, put a few hours into it, and then try to play something else. And then all this ends up doing is just making so that everything takes longer to finish. But for this one, at the very least, I basically just focused on nothing but this and played it from start to finish. And overall, I actually really enjoyed my time with it. But that that's kind of my experience. What about you, Chris? So me being the the weeb i am i decided to go get this game almost as soon as it came out because it got a perfect score from uh, famitsu Mm -hmm. because any game that famitsu gives a 10 out of 10 or 40 out of 40 i have to get as someone who is just in love with japanese culture which i actually have dialed it down a lot since then but because it got that score i had to get it so i got it and i didn't make it too far just because the difficulty got the best of me. I have to play everything on normal. I can't. I can't do it. I can't put games on easy or very. I just can't. I, I <laughs> you can't. Just, you have to learn uh, to bring yourself down to my level, Chris. That's. I can't do it. It's 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 a problem. <laughs> like even my kid has that problem. And he did it with Persona 5. And mm. I finally had to convince him to lower it down to easy because he kept dying on normal. And he reluctantly did it. I, on the other hand, will not take that advice as I didn't with Bayonetta. I just kept on playing on normal and kept on getting my ass kicked. So I gave it up. And then when it came out again for the Wii U late years later with uh, Bayonetta 2, that's when I finally sat down. I decided I was going to beat the game. And I did beat the game for the Wii U because the Wii U is the best console of all time. It makes every game better. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. yes, and that's that's kind of my personal experience. I don't have it for the Switch. But um yeah, it was it was definitely a great game when it came out for the 360. I don't know I, I can't I, I assume it was because of the difficulty, just because I don't remember the exact reason I stopped playing it. I think it was just kind of the reason everyone stops playing games when you don't finish them. It's just you get ready to move on to something else, something else catch, catches your attention. Maybe it was Mass Effect 2 for all I fucking know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I put it down probably about halfway through the game. And then I came back to it later. I got you. Yeah, I I haven't. uh, The the only copy of this I own is the original 360 copy. I have not repurchased this at all for for my switch or or anything. Although at at some point I I do actually want to pick up the sequel because I have yet to play that. 
but yeah well the only reason i got it for the wii u is because it came with the sequel right right yeah. it was a pack-in yeah it was a, just a it was a bonus and it was nice and i was figured well i'll beat it now since i've never made it all the way through yeah and it's, it, it i still think it's one of the better ways to play it well i mean <laughs> it's the wii u so you're gonna make that argument regardless but of course i am yeah <laughs> all right so uh so let's talk a little bit about what is probably one of the most ridiculous aspects in an arguably already ridiculous and over the top game, the, uh, the writing. Yeah, it's bombastic. It's ridiculous. And it's, it's the kind of plot you immediately just kind of throw out the window because (laughs) the game, the game has, has absolutely no expectation that you're going to give two flying fucks about the plot. That, that is true. Yeah, it makes it abundantly clear that the plot is not important to this game and it just wants you to kick everything's ass. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so the director himself like went on record stating that the only reason the plot's even there is just to give you a reason to continue progressing the game. So, I mean, that in and of itself kind of tells you everything you need to know about how even the developers themselves approached the plot of this game. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think the thing that encapsulates it just the best is how the game starts. So it, this this approach cannot possibly be more evident than with that opening scene. So how does Bayonetta choose to give you its, you know, requisite exposition dump, right? Does it do, you know, a cutscene where you are just the passive observer like so many games do? Uh no. Oh no. No. You get voiced over narration over top of you battling against angels while you are on a giant chunk of a clock tower that is hurtling through space towards the surface of the earth with a goddamn multi-headed dragon angel abomination thing flying around in the background making itself known you know shooting shit and like it this is how you get the story okay so it's already basically setting you up to be like okay listen Yes, we're going to give you all this information. And if you want to pay attention, that's, you know, totally cool. You do you. But but also what's more important is that you're focusing on the fighting. And so it makes it very upfront, like from like second one, that that is the focus of this game. Not to mention every other cutscene in the game. I won't say every other cutscene, but most cutscenes in the game. Well, they're they're trying to tell you the plot. It's just Bayonetta dancing around, doing sexy things like spreading your legs, making it very apparent (laughs) <laughs> like, hey, look at look at this sexy lady and all the sexy things she's doing while right. plot is being thrown in your face along with sexy moves. Yeah. So it's there's something there. OK, like she had been awoken from a casket 20 years prior to the events of this game. Mm-hmm. And apparently she's part of this secret society of witches and something about a young child that is actually her spoilers and gets thrown into the past by her father or something. I don't know. I, I it's there. If well, you, it's, I don't yeah. think it's, I think it's a pretty overly complicated for the way they tell it. But if you really want to care about it, I don't think it's too hard to understand. And it doesn't really matter. Well, that's the thing is that ultimately it doesn't matter for the game. Um, you could know zero about what the, the background plot is and it would still be, you, you'd be just fine because really it's all about, you know, kicking the shit out of stuff and fighting giant bosses and that, and that's really it. And that's fine. Um, and time. anyway, the thing is, is like uh, the, the plot itself, I think if this were in any other game, 
it would be super fucking weak. And that's just because it, it is rooted in one of the most tropey overused things in video games already, which is a, an eternal battle between, you know, demons and angels. And I'm saying this as a Diablo fan. Like I, I fully recognize right. that that shit is overplayed. And this is basically the tact that they're going with here too. You know, it's like, you know, 500 years ago, the, the Umbra witches of darkness and the Lumen sages of the light, you know, they were keeping the balance between the forces and earth. And then some shit went down and they fought each other and things got all screwed up. And then you were in a sleep for 500 years or 480 years, I guess. And, uh, and also Bayonetta has amnesia because why not? Every everything has to have a character with amnesia, right? It's the most convenient plot device in the world. It's a JRPG. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is. But this is definitely one of those games where, I mean, you you can as Chris said, just throw it throw it out the window. Like if you really care, awesome, but it's not necessary. Well, the characters bring it to life, man. I mean, Bayonetta herself. And her voice actress, I'm, I'm trying to grab her name. I know I wrote it down somewhere, but Helena, she bring Helena something that works. Yes. She, she <laughs> brings her to life. Same with, you know, Rod, uh, was it Rodan, mm-hmm. Rodan, uh, Enzo, you got Luca and they, they, Jean, they all bring, they all fucking bring their characters to life. And it's not the most believable because everything they say is hokey, but you want it, you need it to be hokey. It's not that you want it to be hokey. It has to be hokey. It oh, has yeah. to be like this is the most ridiculous shit I hear, but I love it. Well, it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's the it's same so thing as like House of the Dead when we talked about that, yeah, right? It's like the absolutely. same thing. Like this is in that same vein of like fantastic, like B movie schlock type shit. Because I mean, let's be real. There's no way that anybody could pull off a dialogue line like, I got a fever and the only cure is more dead angels with a straight fucking face. Which is a reference to an SNL skit. Which it is. Which is great. (laughs) Yeah. But it works. That's the thing is because they're not self-serious, they're very much aware that of just how ridiculous the whole premise and the game is. They just have fun with it and it works. Yeah, it's and uh, the voice actress, by the way, is Helena Taylor and we'll talk more about music and sound when we get to it oh, there you go. but yeah i mean absolutely bayonetta's the delivery that all these characters have is just so good it's so delightful it's so charming it's entirely vulgar and i love it it's not overly vulgar like house of the dead it, it, it doesn't go into that territory no that's true it no. it flirts with it that it does. that's actually a, a fitting theme for that's the entire <laughs> game is flirt. Say, that's actually very accurate yes yeah yeah, flirt and tease. Mm-hmm. Just because, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of teasing. I mean, yeah, I, I can't, I can't remember another game where I kept on trying to tilt my head and see if I could see things at a different angle. <laughs> it doesn't work, by the way. And that's that's saying a lot for a game that honestly doesn't really leave that much to the imagination to begin with. But. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. It does not. Also, as as a related sidebar, I just really appreciate that Enzo as a character is basically Joe Pesci. I just, I just really yes. like that. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Again, plot. Don't worry about the plot. Have fun. Enjoy the dialogue. Enjoy the banter. It doesn't really matter if you're actually following along with it. Uh, there's there's something there for you if you really give a shit about lore, you know, because and, and you might need to look in expanded 
universe material in order to find it if you want to bitch about that kind of stuff. But pretty much everything is there. Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't have to worry about the story too much, then hopefully you can rely on the gameplay to prop it up, which fortunately you can. Yeah. Um, So, okay. My take on gameplay mechanics for Bayonetta is that this game is fucking hard. Uh, even on very easy, which I believe there are five difficulties. Um, it's like very easy, easy, normal, hard. And then uh, like, what is it? A fucking like ultimate infinite climax or whatever ridiculous shit they call that. Of course they would. Uh, yeah. And, um, I played it on very easy. And even then this is not something that you can just button mash your way through a lot of, uh, action style games like this. If you play it on the easiest difficulty, you can probably just hit a button over and over and mostly be fine. This will not let you do that. And I learned that very quickly. (laughs) It wants you to learn how to do combos effectively. And perhaps even more importantly, it wants you to learn how to make effective use of that witch time mechanic. So as someone who's not necessarily super into, you know, combo heavy games like Devil May Cry and that stuff, not that I dislike them, it's just not like my main cup of tea or anything. This definitely was frustrating for me at times. What I ended up doing, and I don't know if this is common or if I'm just awful at it, that could be the case, is I, I sort of discovered like a very small subset of the moves in this game that I found to work generally well and then just kind of stuck with those for like most of the game which is probably kind of a shame because there is just a ton of variation in in the combat mechanics in this game but i would almost say and this actually kind of also dovetails into the equipment which we'll get into in a little bit but Mm-hmm. I almost felt like it was a little overwhelming. Like there was so much yeah. that I didn't know what to use. I was I was about to use that exact same word. The the game is overwhelming in the amount of things you can do, the amount of moves you can perform because there are so many different sets of equipment as you said. So there's like your base set of attacks with pistols and then you have uh, like shotguns that could go on your legs while you have different weapons that you're carrying up top. Mm-hmm. And each has a different move set. Right. Now, once you learn these moves, as you said, like it, it becomes satisfying. So especially learning how to pull off the wicked weaves, which is essential in order to survive mm-hmm. it, that that becomes satisfying and it becomes extremely satisfying the, the more you learn each different weapon subset. But that's the thing. There are so many different weapon subsets and they each can c- control completely different. They each control their own special way. They each have their own separate combos. And just having that many options, yeah, it's, it is really overwhelming. I, I, I would say it's overwhelming in a good way for, for this type of game, if you're into this type of game. But much like Shane, this isn't my forte. If I'm going to be playing a game like this, I'm, I'm going to be like the game we were mentioning earlier, Trials of Mana, which is, which is more basic in its execution. Now, I do think, you know, Trials of Mana is a little too basic, but this is almost the opposite. This is like the final... Final Fantasy tactics of action RPG where you just have and maybe like there's probably an even more absurd comparison. I'm just going off the seat of my pants here. There's just so many different options you can you need to be aware of that. It's only really I don't want to say it's only going to appeal because I liked it. But the primary appeal is to those people who love the action 
love the 3D action games, love the 3D hack and slashes, and can really get into the minutia of all the different movesets that there are and really be able to take advantage of everything it has to offer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. It's it's like it's a good problem to have, right? I, I'm not necessarily right. calling it out as a negative, and I don't think you are either. It's just that no. for me, and it sounds like for you as well, it was um it was just difficult because I end up getting this sort of decision paralysis of like, okay, do I do I sink, you know, into this one gear loadout and and build that out and get good at that or am i making the wrong decision and there's a better combination i could be using and there's just so many different things to choose from that i never feel i never felt like i had a clear idea of like where i was going with my my equipment and skill loadout for most of this game i felt like i was just doing it by the seat of my fucking pants most of the time of just like i don't know this one seems cool i guess i'll use this and then figuring it out as i go which maybe was intended i I don't know but it i never felt like i was like in a real good groove with anything regarding you know the the move sets and and the equipment and you know at the end of the day i feel like it's it's because the intention was for this game to be played multiple times i think it was designed with that in oh absolutely um and so you know as chris mentioned if you're someone who this is this is your jam then you fucking probably love this game there are actually a lot of people that consider this to be the one of if not the best 3d action games ever made and if you're super into it i could totally see why there is so much replayability there and because the game mechanics are as good as they are it's not necessarily as much of a chore to go back and replay you know verses which are what they call the different stages so I totally get it. But for someone who is just kind of casually playing through it and they're probably going to play it once just to experience it. Yeah, it, it it can feel like there's way more going on than you can really, you know, wrap your head around. Now, having said all that, I will just say that as far as the gameplay itself is concerned, it feels fantastic. Buttery like, smooth. It's so it's so smooth, like it's responsive. It's just so much fun to control. And and there's actually a reason I explicitly said this earlier before the brief history about Skyward Sword, because it's coming up again right now, which is in Bayonetta, you never once feel like you are fighting the game's controls, which is like 100 percent critical for this type of games, especially, but just games in general. And so that could have been something that could have very, very easily broken this entire experience, even worse than what I'm seeing with something like Skyward Sword. Like, oh, yeah, you should never have to do that. Yeah, I, I have that feeling, you know, when the, the old saying that if you die in a game that's hard and you feel like it's your fault, mm-hmm. then you have a game that controls well. Every death I suffered in Bayonetta was me knowing I was not good enough at the game and I needed to get better. Right. It wasn't because the enemies were cheap. It wasn't because the the enemies were were broken. It was because they were telegraphing their moves and I just wasn't good enough to get out of the way and follow and have the, the twitch skills to follow up with a good enough combo to really dissolve the enemy. It, it took practice. Mm-hmm. And, and really think about it. It kind of it kind of lends itself to to 
the development history of of Kamiya and Clover Studio and the Devil May Cry series they had before that, they they were tough games. If you even look back at God Hand, the Beautiful Joe series, Devil May Cry, it's kind of a trademark. That's that's the kind of game they are. They are for the hardcore action fans. And it is meant to overwhelm you. And it is meant for the players that spend a lot of time grinding down and practicing in order to get really good at these games. And every single example of those, yeah, they control really well. They're a really fun experience. That's a Platinum trademark. That's what Platinum is known for is it's smooth, easy to grasp the, the basics of combat. And that's what you get with Bayonetta. But you do need to pay attention to what the enemies are going to do or you're going to get just absolutely mauled. As you said, on very easy mode, you made it through and it was it was still hard for you on very easy. In normal mode, I think I think what is it? The boss fight with Gene, the last boss fight boss fight with Gene. I think I died about 10 times in that battle just <laughs> learning how to fight her properly. Yeah. And switching out weapons and figuring out which one worked best with my play style. And like you said, that that is the intent. I think that's up to the player. Which play style do they enjoy the most? Which play style are you most comfortable with? And which one are you going to choose to master? And I I love that about this game. But it, like you said, it's also overwhelming. And you're always second guessing whether or not you're making the right combination. Yeah. Yeah. And bef- before we move on, I-, I wanted to touch on the the witch time stuff a little bit specifically. Mm-hmm. So I, I I did actually really enjoy that mechanic. And I think there are there were a lot of games that tried to do this in the wake of Max Payne because Max Payne was really the first one to do this in, in the right. iteration that, you know, we see it so often now. And there were a lot of imitators that, frankly, didn't do it nearly as well. Um, this is very, very similar. It's different in how you activate it, of course, in that it's not an on-demand button, but it's more of a reaction to you just being good at dodging things. But it is really satisfying when you pull it off. But much like the rest of the game, it is very punishing if you fuck it up. Yes. But the thing that they've done here in Bayonetta that was not done um, in Max Payne or in a lot of their other sort of, um, you know, imitations of that is that it is also incorporated in the level traversal of several of the different areas, which I think is a really, really great addition, um, incorporating some of your quote-unquote combat maneuvers into the actual more exploratory parts of the game um, to the point where not so much, but because I don't want to go too far down that comparison because it's not 100% accurate. But the closest thing I could come to is it almost gives it a little bit of like a Metroidvania esque kind of feel in that you are using your character's abilities in order to reach different places in a level, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not it's not the greatest comparison, of course, like you said, but right. there's some parallels there to be to be sure yeah okay so what did you think about the motorcycle and spaceship levels oh those were fun as hell i you like them yeah 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 no i i actually really enjoyed like okay i i unless they really really missed the mark i generally like it when a game changes things up a little bit and tries to do something different to keep things fresh and so by and large i don't recall having too many qualms with those i thought that i thought that they were pretty entertaining i liked the motorcycle level Mm -hmm. 
I thought it went on a little too long. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. I didn't really like the spaceship level, the space or the space Harrier level and is direct nod to space Harrier even plays the theme to space Harrier in the background. Mm. But it's first of all, it wasn't as good as space Harrier. Second of all, <laughs> um, it too went on a little too long. I think they both went on. I think they they both overstayed their welcome. If if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And I mean, I don't say I don't levy that as a criticism against the game overall because it is just trying to to switch things out and add some varied gameplay. However, those segments, I, I didn't necessarily care much for them because they were so long. However, the fact that they did throw in a bunch of nods to Sega games with after the Afterburner theme playing in the background of the motorcycle level and the whole entire nod to Space Harrier, even at the beginning of it where she says, welcome to my fantasy zone, is just a complete... <laughs> It's, it's a complete moment if you're a Sega fan that that enjoys those games and just be like, oh, my fucking God, it's 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 Space Harrier. They're like, oh, they're playing that song. And that made the entire thing. Or, and that's that's what I love. And not everyone's going to get it, but I do. And I love it. Well, and, and I think that you are precisely the kind of person that they did that for, though. Right. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's not even to say that, you know the the halos that you collect are basically just sonic rings. rings. They're sonic rings. But I mean you're burying they're you're burying Dr. Robotnik at the beginning of the game. That's right. Eggman the destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna hate him in hell more than they hate him up here. So we're gonna make sure he doesn't come back. That's right. Uh, uh, all right. So uh moving on, I mean we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh let's talk a little bit about how this game looks. So what do you think about the graphics? They still look phenomenal. Yeah. There's been a little bit of aging. Obviously, it's been it's been over a decade since this game came out as, you know, duh, if you're on a retro podcast show, but it still looks good. You can still find this game. You can pick this up on the switch, as we said earlier, and it's just it's it's going to look good. It's going to look good on your Wii U. It's going to look good on your 360. It's going to look good on your PS4 or Xbox one. It looks like a game on your PS3. You, it's it, anything it, it, <laughs> on PS3. It's a game. Yeah, it's a, something you should avoid. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, it just everything here, the the little details they provide. And of course, like the animation isn't perfect because of, you know, time passes and you, you start to notice little things and the voices don't exactly sync up. Uh, the lips don't sync up with the voices all the time. Exactly. But. Yeah, I I don't even think this necessarily was a big budget game just because this was what the the third game from a development company and really the second console game developed my platinum games. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they had a huge budget. So what they were able to do here was something really cool. And like everything. Yes, it does have dull gray. It is it's dull and gray like every other game of that era but yet it mixes it up with some really colorful aspects and some really good character designs particularly when it comes to the enemies um especially the bosses which are just just fantastically designed and very original in thought and a lot of penises <laughs> and I, there's nothing really to i have nothing really to complain about yeah i don't i don't really have any complaints either frankly um but I, I will say I, I was wondering where you were going with the the dark and gray because I I wasn't going to necessarily agree with that. But you pulled it out in the end. So so yeah, yeah. I, I do agree that I think one of the things that this game does manage to achieve is that it 
it sets this very sort of, you know, dark ambiance uh, overall, while still somehow managing to be very vibrant in, and colorful in a lot of places, arguably in the places that really, really matter the most, which I think is a lot of like the character design and like the, you know, uh, combat special effects and, and things like that. Um, so definitely kudos to them there. I think for me personally, one of the things that I like the most about the graphical presentation is that frankly, I am just a huge sucker for dark fantasy, like pretty much anything like that. Um, which honestly is a big part of why I like the dark souls series so much. It's really Uh just about the aesthetic. Um, I, and, and honestly, that's also why I'm afraid that if I were to play something, that is like a, a Dark Souls-esque style game, like Code Vein or something, that I might not like it as much because to me personally, the the overall aesthetic is so important to my enjoyment of it that I might not like it as much. But, you know, we'll see. Um, but this game definitely has that, particularly with the enemies and especially with the bosses. Uh, we cannot overstate how intensely detailed these boss models are and how just about every single one of them are just these giant level spanning bombastic fucking fights that just make really great use and and honestly this is probably something we should have probably covered in gameplay mechanic but since we're talking about it now the a lot of the boss fights make incredibly good use of the boss arena environment as well it's it's very kinetic is the best way that I can describe it. It's not a matter of rolling up into like an open area and fighting a dude. It's quite literally you are traversing most of a stage in a lot of cases with just shit flying uh-huh. everywhere and actually honestly traversing the boss itself because they're so big in, in many instances. But the boss design and the enemy design in this game could actually be ripped directly out of Bayonetta and put into a dark souls game and no one would know the difference. That's how close they are. And, um, yeah. And, and I think that's a big reason of why I like it, uh, as much as I do. I think the one minor qualm that I would point out, and this certainly does not apply to everybody and you might not agree is there were times during, combat that i felt like just the sheer amount of special effects and flourishes and things that were happening felt uh much like the 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 combat and and equipment system uh, a little overwhelming i i distinctly remember parts where i kind of just felt like i was hitting buttons and hoping for the best because i was just getting this like sensory overload of just so much shit happening on the screen all at once uh-huh. But that I, I would defend that part on the overwhelming part for the graphics just because I believe that's just the intention of the game is to be over the top and overwhelming visually. Sure. There is supposed to be a sense of sensory overload. Sure. So I do want to before we get to the, you know, the the the, the audio mm. portion of this, I do want to talk about probably the more controversial points. Sure. About just the amount of suggestive themes and even the design of of Bayonetta herself, because obviously there's a lot of suggestive themes in this, uh, even with, you know, specifically with the torture attacks, mm-hmm. uh, specifically with the joys where they put them on a horse and uh, tie them up and continue to pull them back with bouncing with bouncing boobies, which are <laughs> pretty much exposed. It's very S&M. There's a lot of S&M in this game. 
not to mention that I, I think a lot of people might look at Bayonetta as controversial. I would disagree. So uh, before we get to my thoughts, what are your thoughts kind of on just the overall sexuality of this game? Yeah, so that's I mean, that is definitely a contentious topic, I think. Um, of course, you know, this you'd have to go into this with the caveat and arguably very sizable grain of salt that this is coming from the perspective of a a straight white male, right? I'm not going right. to speak for women or or anybody no. else, but from my perspective, I believe that the hypersexuality of Bayonetta's character in particular, because this is something that permeates pretty much the whole game, but if we're talking about just her, which I think is really the focal point, um, I don't see it as a negative because of the way that they approached it. And that is Uh that I believe Bayonetta herself is not a stereotypical damsel in distress if that were the case lollipop chainsaw right yeah yeah um and and even then that's not quite as far down as i was thinking but you're right yeah but she if she were if she were the the stereotypical sort of damsel in distress and she needed to be saved by the you know stock stoic looking you know male hero guy and she was also this oversexualized, I would feel that that is a hundred percent valid argument. But in this particular instance, I think she owns her sexuality in such a way uh-huh. that it is a part of who she is, and she is comfortable with that and uses it to her benefit, and not in a sort of manipulative sort of way. I don't want to misconstrue the term "use" in that fashion. What I mean is that it is it is something that she it's a it's a tool in her proverbial belt that she is super comfortable with. She, it is part of who she is, and I I think that's fine. Like you run this really really sort of tightrope walk when you start talking about these things because if you start saying like oh well sexuality shouldn't be in there and that should not be something that's highlighted, then you start to actually go in this weird opposite direction of, well, now you're sort of vilifying the sexual nature of a character when at the end of the day, who is allowed to be sexual. Exactly. Exactly. Like at the end of the day, whether you like it or not, we as human beings are sexual creatures. That's just a fact. And so if a character is going to own that in the way that I think Bayonetta does, I don't see that as, as a problem. And that, that for me, honestly, it, it, to me, it seems more empowering than not. And that's, I agree. That's the way that I see it. And just, just go down, just go down the same line. First of all, again, just like Shane said, I'm a dude and I like women. (laughs) Yep. So I, I can't speak for the perspective of anything other than what I am. So with that being said, a couple things that, that people need to keep in mind if they are offended by Bayonetta. Bayonetta was designed by a woman. Mm-hmm. primarily designed by a woman with the female perspective. This is why she's proportional. If you pay attention to a lot of other characters that are, are hypersexualized, they are not exactly the most proportioned. They're, they're <laughs> yeah. an unrealistic fantasy caricature of what, what men would want. Whereas Bayonetta is she's, she's a proportional woman. Mm-hmm. It's, it's someone if that they were, 
if they were six foot tall in real life, they would look like that. I mean, I think of like Elizabeth Hurley, for example. Yeah, that's that's a real person. Uh, I could see a woman looking like that. Not only that, like you said, it's it's more empowering. She owns her sexuality. And I, again, I agree with you. It, it seems more empowering than advantageous. Now, nece- now, me as a dude, I look at that. I'm, I'm like, oh, my God, this is just incredibly sexy. But I actually find it more sexy coming from a character like Bayonetta than some pinup doll that needs to be saved from the dungeon. Yeah. And I think that there's needs to be something said about that. Now, if you're a woman and you hate Bayonetta, fine. I would love to hear your perspective. I would love to know where you're coming from. Um, or if you're a woman, you love Bayonetta. I'd, I'd like you to articulate it more. I'd love to hear that perspective. But that's just my kind of perspective as I have where I'm at and just kind of the things I've heard about the direction they wanted to take Bayonetta in and how she does own her sexuality. And I think by extension, you see that with how she treats the character. She's very comfortable in who she is. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's a really good positive quality. And no one she she's she is like owned by no one. She is used by no one. She is her own person and she controls everything. That's special. So that's why I I absolutely have no problem with it. I would actually like to see more characters like that, regardless of gender or orientation moving in the future, because I think that actually makes for a stronger character and it makes them more human, even if it is over the top, like in the case of Bayonetta. Yeah. And unless I'm a hundred percent misremembering, I don't recall any instance in the game where her sexuality was something that she used to get her way in a very explicit fashion or, Or, or anything and anybody, any other character's reaction to, to her as a woman, as a sexual being, frankly, that reaction was a hundred percent on them because she was not purposefully doing anything to elicit that. She just is who she is. Exactly. And the way she dismisses Luca is even further <laughs> evidence of that. She's always yeah. just putting him down. It's 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 great. I love it. It's like that cutscene where they're like in the air and they're like embracing and he thinks they're about to kiss and then she just passes him right by and he lands like face first on like a <laughs> shipping container. Yeah. <laughs> He never, and it's like there's no payoff to it, you know. <laughs> no, but that's that's what's like, great about nah. it, though. <laughs> exactly. She's just like, yeah, I I know, I know, I'm sexy, and that's fantastic yeah. that you think that, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you ain't it. Yeah. <laughs> In any case, all right, let's move on. Let's move on to this game's music. And me and Shane have a little bit of a differing opinion on this. Um, so Shane, how about how about you go first since I just closed out the uh, the previous topic? Sure. Uh, so I mean, overall, I actually really dug what they were doing with the soundtrack. Um, I think it fits the game perfectly. I think the sort of like kind of strange mashup of like lounge lizard style music with like dance remix is exactly the kind of thing that this style of game really needs. Um, specifically i mean the tone gets set very well for a number of reasons but here we're talking about this the music in in particular in the first cut scene with that really great dance remix of fly me to the moon uh, i just thought that was perfect and honestly i i have no issues with any of whether it's the soundtrack or the sound design or anything i thought it was all done incredibly well i think it fits 
whatever happens to be going on at the screen at that particular time i think the 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 sound prompts are well timed and perfectly executed i think the sound design itself is punchy in all the ways yes. that it needs to be so yes. no i i really don't have a lot of negative things to say about it um i would 100% agree with you except when it comes to the soundtrack i know that i'm going to catch probably a lot of heat for this <laughs> now are there some songs that I really love, like the dance mix of Fly Me to the Moon in the first like first battle that you get? Yes. Yes, I absolutely love that. I already said I love the the, the Space Harrier theme being there. I love the Afterburner theme being in there. Mm-hmm. Just in general, though, the, the, the rest of the music, when it gets really loungy, yes, it fits the game. I know why it's there. I wouldn't change it. I'm just saying not not my bag. I, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, um, that's fair. Not 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 my preference. I'm not going to go out of my way to get the Bayonetta soundtrack is what I'm saying. <laughs> However, if you really like this music, I I got it. It's one of those things where I, I appreciate the fact of why it's there to to fit the overall tone and theme of the game. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I could play this game with any other soundtrack. I will say that. But if I'm going to listen to this, I cannot listen to this soundtrack outside of the game itself with few exceptions mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of where i'm going down on the soundtrack line now in terms of overall overall sound direction i love the voice acting i think we've already gone into we've we've given we showered it with enough praise we've we've said enough about it yeah yeah all the voice actors do their good part it's b voice acting but like very good b voice acting like it's almost intentional going back to the house of the dead comparison also, the angels having their own language. I'm a big fan when games put in the effort to create their own language within a game and having it here. I, at least I think it's his own language. I hope it's not like Aramaic or some shit. It might be. Who knows? <laughs> but the fact that it's I think there. I'd be more impressed if that was the case. The fact that it's there, I I genuinely appreciate. I like it when they do it in Panzer Dragoon. I like it when they do it here. So I love that. And that too, and all the sound effects in general, everything that you do in terms of action, action games need to have sounds that when you're attacking enemies, you feel the impact. And this is something you get a lot from beat em ups and hack and slashes. If the sound of when your weapon hits the enemy or your fist hits the enemy is dull or muted, it actually takes me away from the experience I'm having and makes it feel like I'm not doing a lot of damage or... Uh, the impact isn't as solid as it'd like to be. And Bayonetta does that in spades. It does a very, very good job. So overall, yes, sound direction, big thumbs up. I really do like it. Wouldn't listen to the soundtrack outside of the game, but I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for the record, I, I probably wouldn't listen to the soundtrack outside of playing the game either. But I okay. think for its intended purpose, I think it does what it needs to do very well. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, we are on the same page. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> <laughs> same opinion, everybody. You get to hear it twice. Yay. Hooray. Uh, so any okay. uh, any sort of miscellaneous items you wanted to cover about this before we start to wrap things up? Uh, just very briefly, if you look at Bayonetta's beehive haircut, you're probably wondering why it's like that. It's supposed to represent a pointy hat, like a witch's hat or a black mage's hat. Uh. That's why that's there. I thought that was interesting. Uh, the other thing is, is that while the development team really did love bayonetta's design and they fought they actually had to fight really hard to keep her glasses because sega wanted to take her glasses off but hideki kamiya said no you're 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 keeping it on her (laughs) and uh 
but by the end of development, they actually preferred uh, Jean or is it Jean or Jean? I can't remember. I think it's um, Jean, but I could be wrong about Jean. that. I'm going to sound like an idiot. So yeah. <laughs> um, the development team liked Jean more than they liked Bayonetta at the end of development, which I don't know if I haven't done any research on Bayonetta 2, but that could have led to the character design change in Bayonetta 2 where she had shorter hair, much like Jean does. Who knows? But the thing I really want to touch on with the miscellanea mm. uh, is the amount of Easter eggs that is that are in this game is just absolutely absurd. Every single time you turn around, there's something that's referencing something else. Like Team Little Team Little Angels is a play on Team Little Devils from Devil May Cry. That's the most obvious one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, the, as we said, the Halos represent Sonic Rings. They're they're almost the exact same thing. Outrun, the song is playing. I think it's Magical Sound Shower that plays right after you leave the cemetery in the opening sequence. I already talked about Afterburner and Space Harrier right there. Uh, there's also nods to. A lot of the Clover Studio uh, games that they made before Bayonetta. There's the like Okami. I think one time like Bayonetta paints Luca's face to look like Ama Amaterasu. Ama, I think that's how you say it. Got Ama Amater yeah Amaterasu. I don't know, man. You're the paints, weeb. I got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> and he she paints his face like that. I think she's talking about. I think she even makes a passing mention to Okami and just various other Clover Studio games. And I, I also think there might be a reference to Devil May Cry in there as well. If you realize Jean just looked like Dante, I don't think that's a coincidence. That is true. So just just pay attention if you're if you're big into the games that Clover Studio made or just a fan of Sega in general, you're going to be finding Easter eggs left and right. So, yeah, if you're there, you're obviously you're here. You're a retro gamer. You go play this game. You love Sega. You're just going to be like, oh, my God, that's in there. Yes. Yes, it is. That's not an accident. That is completely intentional. And it is awesome. And, you know, just real quick, I find it interesting kind of on retrospective of just how like almost oddly important the inclusion of the glasses in the character design actually is. Oh, yes. Which is weird to say, right? Because it feels like such a minor thing. But if you try to imagine Bayonetta without those glasses it's like almost a completely different character and it's so strange to think that something that minor is such a big deal but i am glad that you know they fought hard enough to keep that in um, because i think it is again like i said oddly enough i think it is a very like essential piece to her overall design yeah it has to do mystique and sexiness Mm -hmm. and i couldn't imagine what she would be like if she didn't have those glasses okay so I think this brings us to the end. I think this is going to be a pretty easy cut and dry part of the show where Mm. we're going to talk about whether or not this game holds up today. So, Shane, what do you think? Uh, Yes. I mean, 100 (laughs) percent. So uh, I think I think no matter how you play this game, you're going to get a really great experience with the exception of the weirdly and disappointingly shoddy port to the PS3. Please don't buy that one. But whether you stick with the OG 360 or you get it on Switch or Wii U or even if you go, you know, full balls deep into the 4K version for PC, no matter what, I think you're going to have a great time with it. I think and I haven't done a full comparison between all the versions, so maybe Chris can keep me honest on this, but I think the Switch slash Wii U version might be the one with the most like cool extra goodies and stuff that you might want to get so maybe that would be Uh the 
definitive version if you were going to recommend one. But, but yeah, man, I mean, hell, like I said, the, the game starts with you fighting on a fucking rock flying through space with angels and shit. (laughs) Like you can't really go wrong with this. Like if you have even a passing appreciation for like really good B movie quality stuff and also incredibly tight, you know, action combat, I mean, and, and, and also, you know, sexy ladies, then you can't really go wrong here. So yeah, for sure. hundred percent. I would just be repeating everything Shane just said. So yeah, great game. It's difficult. So if you like a challenge, this is definitely a game for you as well. Lots of collectibles a shitload. Uh, that are there. Uh, and, and we forgot to mention like a way you collect your weapons is to pick up golden records amongst other things. There's so many things you can pick up a lot of collectibles that enhance your experience. Very challenging game. As he said, if you're going to play a version, go for the Switch or Wii U versions of this game. Probably the Switch is your best bet because you probably don't own a Wii U like everybody else except me. (laughs) And you should. And the reason you want to do that is you can put Bayonetta in various outfits. You can dress her up as Princess Peach, uh, Daisy, or I I think it's Samus. So you get and they all have their strengths and weaknesses to them. And it's really fucking cool. Also, so go ahead. She gets a Link outfit, too. That's right. She doesn't get a link outfit. They're all cool. And yeah, if that's if there's a version you're going to play, go with that one. They also came out with a version that comes with Vanquish. It was like the 10th anniversary edition that came out for the PS4. I'm not sure if it came out for the Xbox one. I'm not sure. Probably did. But that's if you don't own a Switch or a Wii U, that's your best way to go. Um, of course, the 360, you can't go wrong with that. And PC should be fine as well. But yeah, 100% holds up. Go for it. Enjoy it appreciate it and enjoy sexy images of witches pounding you with their hair. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And on that note, I think that kind of brings our discussion of Bayonetta to a close. So, uh, as we are want to do, we'll do a quick couple Woo-hoo! of plugs of uh, where you can find us. Of course, if you're listening to the show, you've already found it. So hi, welcome. Um, and if you're a return listener, then we doubly appreciate that. Uh, but if you'd like to engage with us more, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Our discord is public, so you can head over to bit.ly slash RHP chat. That'll give you an invite into our arcade floor general chat channel. You can say hello, um, you know, share some memes, talk about games with us and uh, the little community that we've got going on there, which we're, uh, we're very happy with. And uh, if you would like to perhaps support the show in a more sort of uh, monetary fashion, you can certainly do that. And we have a, a new fun and exciting way to do that thanks to our ridiculous patrons that we do have uh, in, in our Discord. Uh, so we have a new URL. So you can go to www.gorpfans.com dot com that's g-o-r-p-f-a-n-s dot com and that will bring you to our patreon page where you can choose a donation tier of your choice and get uh some really cool extra bonus features um any tier of patron will receive our rh gaiden uh sort of bonus episodes that we do and, and we're about to record a lot of them yeah and as chris was mentioning at the beginning of the episode he is uh going to be busy doing the editing for those oh my so God. uh so definitely check that out so for as little as a dollar a month you can get some really great bonus content and if you step up 
a little bit higher into the tiers, you can get things like our rapid fire reviews, the outtakes from our recording sessions, all that great stuff. So a lot of great stuff there as well as swag. Like uh, we actually just got our exclusive patron shirt design done um, the week of this recording. And so that is going to be going out to our fantastic patron Lyle very shortly. He will be the first one to have the uh, hyper exclusive shirt, which I know he's excited about. So uh, so check that out. And speaking of shirts, we also do have a merch store. So if you want to check that out, they've got a lot of cool stuff over there, uh, like mugs and stickers and hats. Uh, you can go to bit.ly slash RHP merch and uh, kind of look through that stuff there. And uh, Chris, why don't you tell the the fine people about our our Twitch stream shenanigans? Absolutely. You can find us on Twitch every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern time-ish because we don't always start on time because, you know, we're like that. Yeah. But you could go find us there. It's twitch.tv slash retro hangover. And we'd love to have you there again. We're like we're, we're getting more and more people there every week. Some of our good Twitch followers that, that show up like Lyle, of course, and and uh, Randall shows up and Riku and Mass Llama. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for showing up to the Twitch streams. We really do appreciate it, but come on by and keep the chat going. These, these are a lot more fun when we have a good discussion going on. Also, I would like to plug my own Instagram account, which is at Zodiac X O D Y A K where I post pictures of my collection. And I like to put a lot of those over on the retro hangover account page as well. So go ahead and follow me and follow the retro hangover account page. I would really appreciate it. And uh, just a few shout outs to a couple of our podcast friends, that I didn't call out at the beginning of the show, which is the Grand Rapidians Play Video Games Podcast. Thanks, guys. Also, uh, Bonsai Chat, because, well, Nerd Trainer's there, and he's also one of our patrons, and he has his own podcast you should go check out. And, of course, You Random, which you should check out because that is uh, our patron St. Lyle's podcast that he does. So go ahead. If you have some extra time, just go ahead and check out those podcasts if you are so inclined. Fantastic. All right. Well, with all of that being said, until next time, play with your wicked weaved joystick. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12-ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.